1: cannot do as Jesus asked us, then we should not bother to call him Lord. If we can't do the things that he's called us to do, Paul was submitting his own will to that of Jesus's. He realized that he had been wrong all this time. The instant he saw Jesus, the instant he heard his voice, everything became true, just as what had happened in the people he was pursuing. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. He's here in our midst. He's alive today, and he's calling you. He's drawing you in, just like what happened to you and I. Everything was changed.
0: As often as we refer to Jesus as Lord, how many of us actually act as though He's the Lord of our lives? In today's message, Pastor Dave reflects on the relentless pursuit of Christ that each and every one of us should share. Today, you'll learn that just as Jesus so relentlessly seeks after us, we too should be seeking after Him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts, chapter 9, as he continues his message The Hunter Becomes Hunted.
1: The Apostle Paul tells the church at Ephesus that our salvation is indeed a gift of God's grace. No man deserves to be saved, he says, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift that God gives to those who would believe upon his son. Saul was a mighty hunter. He was relentless in his pursuit of this way. But the hunter was now being hunted. Saul was about to learn a lesson in righteousness. He was about to come in contact with the God of amazing grace. He was about to learn that sometimes a person has to lose his religion before he can really become righteous. Oh, but he was on a hunt. And he was hunting people all the way. He even had letters in his hand in order to capture them and return them to Jerusalem. Anybody believing in Jesus, he had authority to kick down their doors, go in their homes, and drag them out. Remember, he enjoyed what he did. We look at verse 3 in chapter 9. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Evidently, many from the church, when it was persecuted and scattered, went to Damascus, and they settled there. And when they settled there, they did the same thing that Philip did in Samaria, which is what? They took the gospel message with them, and they preached Jesus down in Damascus. So Saul got letters to the synagogues, and he went down there, Because this was now on his radar. It must have been on his radar because the gospel message must have been doing something great down there. They anticipate or predicted that there was anywhere from 30 to 40 synagogues down there. Now you're probably saying, synagogues, why is that important? Well, the church hadn't split from Judaism yet. There has been no split from Judaism yet, so the church still met in the synagogue. The church is still met in the temple, in an area of the temple that hasn't split yet. So Paul would go into the synagogue first. He would take these letters there. In fact, in James 2, 2, when James uses the word assembly, it's the same Greek word for synagogue. So the, the group was meeting in the synagogue. So as I said, our great hunter Paul now was being hunted. Saul the hunter was now the quarry. Unbeknownst to Saul, he has been radically pursued by who Thomas, Francis Thomas, called in his epic poem the hound Of heaven. The hound of heaven. Take some time and read that. It's a rather lengthy poem, but what a magnificent read. The hound of heaven. In this poem, Jesus is truly the ever present, all seeking hound of heaven. He can track us down wherever we're hiding. And on the trail, he sets his heart as a relentless zeal and undivided focus on the pursuit of us. He uses the same zeal and the same focus that led him to the cross when he's pursuing someone. In the name of God, in the name of him. What the Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23, 24. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. Go back to our study, we see Jesus closing in on his prey. Suddenly a brightest light that Saul had ever seen appears before him. He's amazed because he had never seen such a bright light. And it appeared to be coming from all places. Heaven. In the midst of this light, Saul finds himself on the ground. He finds himself on the ground. Now everybody assumes he was riding a horse, and he got knocked off his high horse, which we like to say, but it never says in Scriptures that he was riding a horse. But he, find, he finds himself on the ground. In verse 4 it says, he, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Blinded by this light, Saul falls to the ground. He cannot see a thing at first. Can you imagine how frightening it must have been? But then all of a sudden, he hears a voice, and the voice calls his name, Saul, Saul, and that would get my attention. I mean, it's one thing when your mom's mad at you, and she uses your whole name to get your attention. But when she uses your whole name twice, you better come a running. Saul, Saul, the Lord was trying to make a point. He was trying to get his attention, and he did. That would certainly get my attention. The voice suddenly asks this question, why are you persecuting me? Saul now confused, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice comes back, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the people. Now, put yourself in Paul's place, Saul's place. Put yourself in his place. His mind must have gone kaboom. His mind must have exploded. Can you imagine? Wait a minute. Jesus? Are you saying Jesus? You're Jesus? But you're alive. Can you imagine what the reality was for this young Pharisee? Jesus was alive. Jesus, the one that we're talking about, two things to mention here. First of all, in verse 17 of Acts 9, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, we have an indication that Saul actually saw Jesus Christ. He actually saw the risen Lord. In fact, he uses this as part of his credentials to become an apostle later on, that he saw the risen Lord. So you can imagine what's going on in his mind. Everything in Saul's life that he was opposed to, is now standing in front of him talking to him. Jesus was truly alive. He saw it with his own eyes. And his mind was going, Wait a minute, if I saw Jesus and Jesus is alive, wait a minute, he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the unknown. You can you imagine what's going on in Paul's mind? Like, wow. This, I mean, his whole, everything he knew was different now. Everything in his life had turned upside down. Does it sound familiar? What happened when you got saved? Your life was turned upside down. Actually, it was turned right side up. But your whole life became anew. Your whole life became, you were confused. You didn't understand what was going on. And you are now this new person. So he said, Jesus is alive. That's the first thing going through his mind. Jesus is alive. And then the second thing, according to Jesus' words, he wasn't attacking the way. He wasn't attacking the followers. He wasn't attacking anybody except one person. Paul was attacking Jesus himself. I love that. I love that. He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Look at Jesus identifies with his saints. We are his body. We are the body of Christ. If they're attacking you, they're attacking him. You persecute one of them, you persecute me, Jesus is saying. What a wonderful truth. The beauty of the spiritual unity between Savior and saint. We are one together. They can't separate us. I grew up in Camden. And one of the things I used to say when somebody was picking on me, I had the very, very fortunate luxury of having two big brothers. One of the things I used to say is, I'll get my big brother after you. My big brother will beat you up. Persecution strikes. Temptation comes. Satan attacks. Call your big brother. Call Jesus. Call Jesus. He sticks closer to you than any brother could possibly stay. Call on Jesus. When they reject you, they reject Jesus Christ. Just go with this. Jesus says to Saul, you're kicking against the goads. You're kicking against the interior workings of the Holy Spirit. Saul, you're kicking against the testimonies you've seen. What do you mean? You saw Stephen pray as he was being stoned to death. Who was he praying for? He was praying for you. You saw all these men and women, Paul, Saul, that you drug out of their homes and you forced them to deny Christ. And when they didn't deny Christ, you had them killed. You saw that with your own eyes. You're kicking against the testimonies that you've seen. You're kicking against the things that you've seen. You're a wild animal, and you're kicking against your master who is trying to get you to move in the direction. I'm the master that's calling to you. You're kicking against me. Is that the state you're in today? Have you seen testimony after testimony after testimony of someone's life, and you're saying, I don't want this, Jesus. Are you kicking against the master who's calling you? Are you running from the hound of heaven who's tracking you down? Who's doing everything he can in his power to set something up in front of you and say, "Here I am," and you run away praying? There he is again. And you run away, and there it's, it's like some wild video game. Every time you turn around, Jesus is there. Why? Because he loves you, and he wants you to be his child. He wants you to come into his kingdom. You've heard the testimonies. Sit around this room and count how many people are in. How many people are saved? That's how many testimonies are in this room. That's how many testimonies of God's grace, God's glory, God's love in this room. You can glean from that. You can get to that. And you can know that. Are you resisting the hound of heaven? No, Paul probably in his life knew something was wrong. Before I got saved, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. Something was missing in my life. Something had drastically changed. Mickey Gilley said it correctly. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Not the place I should be looking. I should be looking to Jesus Christ. But I knew something was wrong. Paul, Paul probably knew there was something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong in your life today. Maybe you just can't put your finger on it. Something's missing. Something's missing. I can tell you what's missing right now. It's Jesus Christ. I can tell you right now, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus had Saul in his crosshairs. He had him in his crosshairs and he was moving in. Stop persecuting me, Paul. Saul. Saul is now going to make a statement of faith. He's going to make a statement of faith. Look at verses 6 and 7. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And what do I see here? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience is the truest test of discipleship. The truest test of discipleship is obedience. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I said? If we cannot do as Jesus asked us, then we should not bother to call Him Lord. If we can't do the things that He's called us to do. Paul was submitting his own will to that of Jesus'. He realized that he had been wrong all this time. The instant he saw Jesus, the instant he heard His voice, everything became true. Just as what had happened in the people he was pursuing. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. He's here in our midst. He's alive today. And he's calling you. He's drawing you in. Just like what happened to you and I. Everything was changed. Next couple scriptures says, And the men who were journeying with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And there he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Acts 9, 7 to 9. What were these guys thinking? What were the people who were traveling with, with Saul thinking? What were his companions thinking? Would you ever think of what was going on in their hearts? What was going on in their minds? It's interesting here that the hunter had bagged his quarry. Jesus, his hunt, had been successful. Saul later tells the Philippian church that he was apprehended by Jesus. He was apprehended by Jesus in chapter 3. Saul was out to arrest others when the Lord indeed arrested him. Saul lost his religion and gained his righteousness. Indeed, Jesus had apprehended him, had gathered him in, had called him. And since no one else received Jesus on the road that day, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know about their salvation. It's not told to us. We can assume that maybe they believed and maybe they did if they continued with Paul, but it doesn't really say what happens there. The others heard the voice, but we don't know if they were saved or not. Saul could have continued to resist the Spirit, as some of you have been resisting God's Spirit. He could have concluded that this is not Jesus and turned away from it. But if he had, his heart would have got harder. And every time he did that, the Spirit would have gotten fainter and fainter and fainter until the time comes no more when your heart is so hard that you can't hear it. You can't hear it. What do I have to do? What do I have to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Obedience, Lord. What do you want me to do? What can we learn from today? What can we learn from these passages that we looked at? For one thing for sure, make no mistake about it, Jesus is the initiator of our faith. He is the one who offers faith to us. He seeks the sinners today even as we speak, just as he did Saul that day. We cannot be sure of whom the grace of God is working in their lives. But we always know that God makes the first move in someone's life. 1 John 4, 19. The Apostle John writes, We love him because he first loved us. He was the initiator of the love. He demonstrated his love to us. We search for him only in response to him. Only in response to his prior advance. Jesus orchestrated this encounter on Damascus Road. He orchestrated it. It was his doing. He directs our encounters as well. He directs our encounters. We need to be knocked off our high horse, even if we're not riding one. We need to be knocked off our horse. Christ will bring us to our knees, and He will form in us a desperate need for Him. We all need a Damascus Road experience. We need to be brought to the end of ourselves. We need to be helpless and allow Him to intervene in our lives. The other thing this passage shows is that, guess what? Christ chooses us. We don't choose Him, Christ chooses us. Christ chooses us. In Acts 9, verse 15, the Lord tells Ananias, this man Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name. Saul would indeed proclaim the name of the Lord to the rest of his life. He would be a marveled vessel. and He would marvel at the vastness of God's grace. He would later write to the Ephesian church, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Ephesians 1, verse 4. He's chosen us. It's interesting that Paul puts this at the top of his priority list. It's interesting that he puts it there. I think it's very, very appropriate. The top of our list should be the fact that God chose us. What a blessing and what a glorious blessing that God should choose me to spend eternity with him. Now, the amazing thing is when did God choose me? This gives you a little clue. God didn't choose me after I cleaned up my act. He didn't choose me after I got all religious and got all holy. No. No. He choose me before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world. Remember, God is the initiator of all of this. And this same Saul, when he becomes the Apostle Paul, told the Roman church, God demonstrates his own love towards us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guess what? 2,000 some odd years ago, Christ died for the sin that you're going to commit tomorrow. He died for that sin. He died for all sins some 2,000 years ago. He demonstrated his love on a cross and died for us at that time. C.S. Lewis, when he was speaking about his own conversion, says this, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. Isn't that cool? As his grace touches us in ways that we aren't even aware of, ways like pressure, sometimes there's pressure in our life, Sometimes there's lack of pressure in our life. Sometimes there's joy. Sometimes there's sorrow. The subtle workings are all placed there by the inner workings of his providential hand upon our lives. Let me close with another story. Andrea Wolf, who's on the staff with Co Mission Office in Raleigh, North Carolina, told this story. In the 1930s, Stalin ordered a purge of all Bibles and all believers. In Starvopol, Russia, this order was carried out in a vengeance. Thousands of Bibles were confiscated, and multitudes of believers were sent to the Gulag's prisons in these camps where most of them died, and they died unjustly when they were considered enemies of the state. The co-mission once sent a team to Starvopol. much later. The city's history wasn't known at the time, but when the team was having difficulty getting Bibles to ship them to Moscow, Someone mentioned the existence of a warehouse outside of town where these confiscated Bibles had been stored since the days of Stalin. After the team prayed extensively, one member finally mustered up the courage to go to the warehouse, asked the officials if the Bibles were still there. Sure enough, they were. Then the co-missions people asked if the Bibles could be removed and distributed to the people who are of all. The answer? Yes. The next day, the co-mission team returned with a truck and several Russian people to help load the Bibles. One helper was a young man who was skeptical. He was very hostile. He was an agnostic. He was a collegiate. He had come only to earn a day's pay. That's the sole reason why he came. As they were loading the Bibles, as they were loading the Bibles onto this truck, one member noticed that this young man, whose hometown was Starbapal, had left. And they saw him over there. He was over there in the corning and he was weeping was crying. He was weeping his heart out. He slipped away hoping to take a Bible for himself. He thought maybe he would steal a Bible. And he got one and he slipped away. What he didn't know was he was being pursued by the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven was on his heels. And what he found in that Bible shook him to his very core. When he opened the inside page and he read it, there was a handwritten message from his own grandmother. His own grandmother had written a message in that Bible. And when he opened it up, he saw it with his own eyes. It had been her personal Bible. Out of the thousands upon thousands of Bibles that were in that storehouse that day, this guy, wanting a Bible for himself, chose to steal a Bible. He just happened to choose that Bible, the providential hand of God. The hound of heaven had hunted him down. The hound of heaven had placed him in that very spot in that very day. The hound of heaven had made him reach for that very Bible, that very instance. No wonder he was weeping. No wonder he was brought to his knees very much like Saul, brought to his knees that day because everything he disagreed with became true in his life, everything he disagreed with. God had powerfully intervened and made himself so tenderly known to this human being. That's how much God cares for each and every one of us. He made himself so tenderly known. Can you imagine what he felt in his heart when he opened it up and saw his own grandmother's name? Boy, did he have a divine appointment. He had a divine appointment that was orchestrated by the hound of heaven who had tracked him down And brought him to this very place. Last thing I glean from today's scripture. Do not give up hope. Do not give up hope. You may have someone in your life that you've been praying for and you've been praying for. And it seems like it's been a long, long time that you're praying for this person. Do not give up hope and never ever write anyone off as being unsavable. Never make that judgment upon yourself. They're thinking, this person will never come to the Lord. It's not for you to decide. It's not for you to decide. Never write anybody off when God's grace is involved and the love of God through Jesus Christ. What we do with these relatives, when we have these things, whom have heard the word of God for years with no response, I don't know, you probably have them. What do we do with the sinner who is gone in the deepest level of depravity who might be in your life? Or, how about the one that's gone into a cult and is propagating a false doctrine or a false religion? We continue to pray for them. And we continue to pray that the hound of heaven would hunt them down. And that Jesus would corner them and bring them to the end of themselves. And he would pursue them just as he pursued you and he pursued me and brought us to that point. Think back on your lives. Think back of the providential hand of God as it worked in your lives to get you to a point where you cried out to him and accepted him. Scripture is quite clear. God can reach anyone. And he will reach anyone. Is he seeking you today? Has the hound of heaven brought you here for this very reason today to hear this message and say, today's the day. Today is the day of your salvation. Are you going to accept? Are you going to deny me one more time? It's up to you. You
0: When Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you, so please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the Book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.